The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Good to be with you today. Uh, it's funny how um, we can have different experiences in life, to, even physically, that can impact us. But one of the things I want to talk about as we look in 1 Samuel chapter 23 is um, decisions. Like, man, decisions are, are interesting. We start out in life and and we really don't have to make any decisions. People make all the decisions for us. And then the decisions, sort of st- they sort of begin to progress and, and move forward. We have to make decisions uh, um, you know, about like, what we're going to play with, um, who we're going to play with, what we want for Christmas. Um, and then we move on further and into life, and we're making decisions about uh, what classes we're going to take, starting to learn to get independence as a as a young person in adolescence, and so I'm going to choose my class schedule. And then we choose, uh, if we go on and, uh, to secondary education, we choose, like, where am I going to go to school? Who am I going to marry? You know, where am I going to work? And then, so those of you who are beginning to make decisions, let me just tell you that it only gets worse. <laughs> like, there's just more and more decisions. Um, and so we have to look and make decisions about, you know, where we're going to live, what we're going to, you know, what we're spending our money on. And then at some positions we have uh, in our careers, we're making other people are looking to us to make decisions. And so it can be something that's extremely overwhelming, something that we're, we're faced with. And the older we get, the more decisions we have to make. And so um, it can be overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. Like we can, we can have divine guidance, um, somebody to lead us and rely on the Holy Spirit as we've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior, then we're promised the um, Holy Spirit who guides us and helps us navigate through life and gives us the ability to make decisions that we can have confidence in. Now, we've been looking at how Saul and David, as Saul continues to just fall off the cliff, um, you know, spiritually, humanly, like, like, man, he just, he loses it completely by the time we get to the end. And, and, and so we look and we, we're making a comparison here. We kind of see the old and the new man. Uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament talks a lot about the old man and the new man. And so what is the old man and the new man? Well, the new man is the, the or new woman is the person who has met Jesus. They've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, who now indwells us. We can walk in the fullness of the Spirit, and we learn to listen to and, and walk in submission and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ as He is our Lord and Savior, and we're not catering to the desires of the old man. So when we look um, at the old man, he cannot shake loose of his old ways. And that's what we're seeing in Saul. He just can't, he can't shake loose of the way that he, you know, he is. But we see in David a new man who understands divine guidance is available and he uses it all the time. And so we're seeing him kind of move through life and he faces some difficult things. We know that he is living in a time where he is right dead sinner in the middle of the Lord's will, yet things are going against him. He could very easily be a person who's scratching his head and saying, man, I tried living for God and things just don't work out. They become more complicated. Okay, let me say to you. Just because you surrender your life to Jesus doesn't mean that things uh, like are just smooth sailing there. Matter of fact, often things will get much more complicated for you. Now, 
I would say in that, the stress and the peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and all of those things, even though things are more complicated, you can move and navigate through them uh, easier than you can before you meet the Lord. And so like, things may not be easy, but they're, they're, they're livable. <laughs> they're enjoyable. Life becomes a little lighter. It's not as heavy because you know now you belong to the Lord. And so that's what this whole thing of faith, when we start talking about following the Lord, that's the ways we're supposed to be living. We're new men and women who've met Christ. And so the, like, the, the very like, dangerous thing is, is you claim to be a new man or a new woman in the Lord and you're living like the old man or old woman. It's just like, that's prison. And so I think there's so many places in the Word that teaches us how whenever we meet Jesus and we come to a point of salvation and, and understanding of who the Lord is in our lives, that, man, there's, there's a new way to live. There's a fresh way to live. There, things are different for us. We're not living the old way. And, and people are taking notice. There's such a change and transformation in our lives that others are recognizing there's something different. So how do we, like, how do we go through that experience and make sure that we're making good, godly decisions? So that's, that's the difference between the new man and the old man. The old man doesn't care about godly decisions. The old man just decides whatever he wants. The old man decides how he wants the, to act. When somebody does something to the old man, the old man retaliates and does something back. When the old man gets angry, he loses his temper. When the old woman, <laughs> that sounds funny, when she loses her uh, temper, she just gets angry and flies off the hook. Not so with the new woman. Like, not so with the new man. The new man has the ability to control himself. As a matter of fact, one of the fruit of the Spirit is called self-control, temperance. We're able to control ourselves because we're new men and women um, in the Lord. And so we, we approach decisions differently and we look at them and go, okay, how can I make good godly decisions as a new man or a new woman in Christ? How can I like, walk through life and know that I'm honoring the Lord with my decisions? Well, there are filters um, that we can lay over our lives. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 23. We know David is on the run. He's had to flee. Um, he, the, the king Saul knew that God had chosen David to succeed him as the next king. And everybody else knew, or David and his family knew that. And so uh, Saul feels threatened, and he literally tries to kill David. And so David has to leave the castle. He loses everything, loses his wife, loses his best friend, loses his home, um, loses connection with his family for a time being, um, like just has to leave. He's hiding in a cave. And so we find him this week um, and we see that he's got to make some decisions. We see some filters that he uses in order to make good godly decisions. So let's look at verse uh, one of 1 Samuel chapter 23. It says, when David was told Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors. He inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord answered him, Go and attack the Philistines. Save Keilah. And so David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? 
Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hands. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. And you go, eh, what's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal. The big deal is, man, David is in hiding. And the Philistines are the enemies of Israel. And David has fled the country of Israel. And the king's job, Saul's job, was to protect the nation of Israel from people like the Philistines. David gets word that the Philistines are attacking this, this particular area of Keilah, and they're, they're invading. They're looting the threshing floors. What does that mean? Well, the threshing floors is where they gathered all the grain, and they would throw it up in the air, and, and the chaff would blow away, and the grain would stay there in the threshing floor, and so it was their, their food supply. And so the Philistines had come into town, and they were going to take all of their grain away, and they were just going to steal from them. And so David hears about it. And here's the first filter that you lay over a decision that we see David lay over it. Seek the Lord's kingdom first in everything. Like every decision you have to make, seek the Lord's kingdom. That's what we see David doing. It would be so easy. And his men, we see this happening because his men are saying, when he goes back and he says, man, I was talking to the Lord, and the Lord said, we need to go down there and protect that city. And the men that were with him said, man, we're scared to death here where we're at with Saul chasing us, and you want us to go and invade an enemy so that we have Saul behind us and the enemy out in front of us, and you want us to go attack them. And they're thinking in their minds that this is crazy. And so ironically, Saul, who was responsible for offering this protection to the nation of Israel, wasn't providing it. Why not? Because he was focused on his kingdom. He was so absorbed in himself that all he could think about is how could he take out David instead of thinking about how can I fulfill the purpose that this role is supposed to be filled, uh, filling. And so David has the Philistines in front and Saul in the back, but the good news about what we see with him is he stays in the middle of the Lord's business. And I am reminded where Jesus, you know what he said? He says, don't worry about this and don't worry about what you're going to eat. And don't worry about um, what you're going to drink. And don't worry about what you're going to wear. What does he say? Seek ye first my kingdom, the kingdom. And all these things shall be provided for you. And so when you're faced with a decision and you're going, man, should I take this this promotion? The first thing you should do is lay the filter of the kingdom over it and go, how does this impact my role in the kingdom? If it means that I'm not going to be able to like be a part of church anymore, there's your answer. You say, well, you don't understand, Jimmy, because if I didn't take that promotion, then I wouldn't be able to continue climbing. I said, you don't understand the kingdom. You don't understand that the Lord's role is to take care of you when you're taking care of his kingdom. You're a citizen in the, in the kingdom of the Lord. You're not like just a person who's living like the old man. The, the Lord doesn't have a responsibility to take care of people who are living the old man lifestyle. But he does have a responsibility to take care of people who are new men and women. And so the Lord's, and he's concerned about your career. He's concerned about your life. He's concerned about your provision. And so in this particular um, uh, case, what we see is David looking and, and, and to go in and attack the Philistines. Remember, they're on the run. He didn't even have a sword. He had to ask the priest for a sword who gave him Goliath's sword. And so to protect um, uh, th- th- uh, these people, all he was armed with was a word from the Lord. And that's all we need. 
It's like a word from the Lord to go and do what it is that he's asked us to do. And so what, what's, what's really encouraging to me is, did you catch what they left with? They went down there like the guys didn't want to go. And David was having a hard time motivating them. And so he's seeking the multitude of counselors. And the guys are going, man, I don't think this is a good idea. So what does he do? He goes back to the Lord. And the Lord says, no, you go. I'm giving them to you. I'm concerned about these people. And so they go, and the Lord gives the Philistines into their hand, and not only do they leave, they leave with the livestock. And that's a good deal, man. That's sustenance. That's the ability to carry the things that you own. That's also the ability to eat. They left with the livestock that the Philistines had brought into town, and so they were able to uh, plunder the very things that the people came in to, to use. Like, the, why did these guys have the livestock? They brought the livestock to carry away the corn. Well, not only did they protect the corn of the citizens of Keilah, they left with the cows. And that's the way the Lord always works when we seek his kingdom first. Seek ye first the kingdom of Christ, and all these things shall be added to you. You say, man, I don't feel like the Lord is ever doing anything in my life. Maybe it's because you're always focused on your kingdom and you're not focused on his. It's very easy to be in that position. As we have to be the type of people go, man, look, like here's an opportunity for me to seek the kingdom. So should I buy this car? How's it going to impact my ability to give and support in the kingdom of the, of the Lord? You see, a lot of people will say, man, I, I don't have the money financially to support the work of the Lord. Why? Because we're, we're focused on our own kingdoms and queendoms. That's just a bottom line. And so like the, the Lord is looking at us and saying, man, look, you want to make good, healthy, sound decisions and live like the new man? Take this filter. Lay it over all your decisions. Every decision you make, seek the kingdom of Christ first. And when you begin to do that, you'll begin to look and you'll begin to notice that the Lord is starting to move in your life. Why? Because you're seeking his kingdom first. What does he say in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Why does he say that? Because we're trying to do what it is that he wants us to do. And when we're living in that capacity and, and, and we're thinking about, man, I want to be like you, Lord. Like our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. See, it's not my kingdom come, my will be done. Then give me this day my daily bread. It's your kingdom, your will. And I'm lining up with that, Lord, and I want to be like you. So therefore, you, Lord, since I'm focused on that, then give me the bread that I need today. And so the Lord will begin to take care of us when we begin to take care of his kingdom. So there is an expectation from you that when you come into the kingdom and you become a citizen of the kingdom, that you function according to what the king has called you to function and you begin to seek his kingdom first. And as you do that, you'll begin to see movement of the Lord in your life. Let's go on and see what happens in verse 6. Now Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Keilah. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah and he said, God has delivered him into my hands, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. Now, let's just stop right there. I want you to notice something. Who is saying what? Saul hears that David is in this city. It's a walled city. It's a gated city. It's closed up. And what does he say? God has delivered him into my hands, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. Not everybody who talks like a believer is a believer. Not everybody who says they know God knows God. 
Not everybody who says, man, I'm, I'm listening to what, like this guy is so far off and he's using this religious talk and we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of, like it's how we're living and what we're doing that determines whether or not we really know the Lord or not, not what we're saying. You see, the Lord was close to his mouth, but he was far from his heart. And I fear that that's what happens a lot in our day and age is, is the Lord is, is really close to people's mouths, but he's far from their hearts and that never works out. And so he, he's looking at this and he's using this God talk to try to motivate himself and other people. And so Saul called up his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to, to, to besiege David and his men. And so instead of being encouraged that the guy just did his job, he just wants to go and take him out. And this is what dealing with people who are not part of the kingdom is like. And that's why life can sometimes be more complicated when you are concerned about the kingdom when you're not, because you're dealing with people who don't care anything about the kingdom. So you must always be reminded who the king is. Like he is not bound to the world's rules the way that we are, and that's who we serve, and so we depend on him to take care of us, and that's what we're going to see that David does. And so when David and his men learned, see, the Lord was looking out for him. Like somebody come and told David that Saul knew. He says, when David and his men learned, um, when David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. And David said, Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. <laughs> That's pretty clear. <laughs> and so again, David asked, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. And so like, pretty clear. So David and his men, about 600 in number. Now this is really cool. So I talked about they left with the cattle. Guess what else they left with? 200 more men. When he was at the cave of Adullam, he had 400 men. Now he's up to 600. The Lord is adding to his strength and blessing him as he's focusing on his kingdom. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. And when Saul was told that David escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. So he just kind of thwarted the whole thing, man. The Lord took care of David. Here's the second filter. Don't move without divine guidance. Just stay right there where you're at until the Lord answers and gives you the guidance that you need before you move forward. Sometimes it may take a day. Sometimes it may take a week. And sometimes it may take two years. But don't move until the Lord gives that divine guidance. And he will give the divine guidance when we're seeking his kingdom. We're concerned about what it is that he wants us to do. Jesus said, ask and it will be given. Okay, And so the Lord, is he's eager to answer our prayers when we're concerned about his kingdom and concerned about living our lives in harmony with him and doing what it is that he wants us to do. So don't move without divine guidance. Now, this is interesting. Israel's greatest military hero didn't move without divine approval. He was one of the greatest warriors in the nation's history, and he would not move until the Lord told him to move. Now, do we understand why he was one of the greatest warriors in Israel's history? 
Like That's what's going to make you a great warrior in the kingdom today is that you are a person who could be disciplined enough that you hold your ground until the Lord says move. You stay where you're at until the Lord gives you the divine guidance that you need to move forward. And if you will do that, then you will begin to see God moving in your life in ways that you never have before. David said, bring the ephod. And what was the ephod? Well, the ephod in the Old Testament was a, a priestly garment that a, a, a priest would put on. It had the um, urim and the thummim and the breastplate. Remember, we talked about that. And so that it was a couple of things that they would use to cast a lot. And so that's how he knew the answer was he, they will um, and, and, and he will. That they, there was a yes, no answer there in that prayer. And so he says, bring the ephod so we can determine the word from the Lord. Now, what's different? Say, well, man, where did I get one of those ephods? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Um, do I marry this woman? No. <laughs> and so that, that's not the way it works now. The way it works now is we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We have the high priestly prayer ability of ourselves, so we can talk to the Lord ourselves like differently than they could in the Old Testament. Now, David is a model of someone who has both like a supernatural presence of the Lord on his life. But now we have that. Everybody who knows the Lord has that same kind of intimacy. As a matter of fact, it's even better than what David had because the Lord lives in us because we have been purified by the blood of Christ. And now God can live inside of us, not inside the Ark of the Covenant. We become the Ark of the Covenant of God. Because of grace that is covering our sin, we've received forgiveness, and so now the Lord lives inside of us. And so we, we say, instead of bring the ephod, bring me the word, man. Like, bring me the word. What does it say? What does it say about this particular thing in my life? And most decisions that you will face in life, you can find right in the word of God. And so like when we're making decisions, like one of the things that's very important for us, what does the word of God say? And there are a lot of churches that are really, really messed up right now. You know why? Because they're saying, well, what does culture say? Who cares, man? Culture will always get you away from the Lord. We want to know what does the Word of God say, and we value the Word of God. We believe that it is something that we base our decisions off, off of, and we look at it, and we allow it to speak to us. And so here's another interesting thing. How do you think the, the citizens of Keilah felt about David? Like, he just came down and protected them. Like, he's staying in the city. What do you think they think about him? They think he's awesome, man. He just ran the Philistines out and saved all their corn that they'd worked all year for. And so he was a hero in their sights. But isn't it interesting that he didn't go to them and ask them if they would stand with him? Why didn't he do that? Because he understood something that the Word teaches us, that the Lord understands the heart of man better than man understands himself. And so the citizens may have said, yeah, we'll stick with you and, and not told him the truth. And so he went to the Lord and allowed the Lord to impress upon him what it is that he wanted him to do. And so uh, filter number one, seek the Lord's kingdom first in every decision, like every one of your decisions, just start to think, what does the Lord want me to do with this? And as you begin to think that way, then you're starting to think like who? The Lord. <laughs> like, I... If I, started going, if I started going through the room, and I'm not going to do it, okay, so don't, don't get nervous. If I started going in the room and said, tell me about the decisions you made like last week. And you started telling me about the decisions, and I started saying, well, okay, tell me, how, did, you, did you ask the Lord what he wanted you to do in that? Like, there's a bunch of people in here who would say, man, I've never done that at all, okay? But just think about what we're saying. Did you ask the Lord? No, I didn't ask the Lord. 
Why wouldn't you ask the Lord? Aren't we calling Him Lord? What does the Lord do? He lords over what? The citizen. Who's the citizen? If you say you know Jesus, you're the citizen. And so when he says, when we say Lord, if we're going to call him Lord and expect him to save our souls from like, like, the, like the damnation of what sin brings on to us, and we're, we're, we're looking to the Lord to bring freedom in our lives spiritually, we ought to be looking at him, at him as Lord in every area of our lives. So he's either Lord or he's not Lord. That's why Jesus said there will be many people who say, Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that, and we did the other. And he said, man, I never knew you, bro. We said, what do you mean you didn't know me? I called you Lord. Yeah, you called me Lord, but you didn't know me as Lord. Look at what Saul is saying. God has given him to me. No, God didn't give him to you. You're messed up, bro. You're messed up in the head. You're not thinking with truth. You're thinking with your own truth. You're not thinking with biblical truth. And biblical truth is what Jesus said will set us free, not what our own truth is. There's no such thing as own truth. There's only true. Like, that's it. Like he, two plus two is four, and that is true. Doesn't matter if you believe it's five. You're just, you say, man, man, but I, I, what if a person is taught all his life that two plus two is five? Isn't that true for him? No. He may be sincere, but he's just sincerely wrong. Okay? So, like, we have to understand there is truth that we can apply to our lives. So, seek the Lord's kingdom first. Do not move without. Um, divine guidance, and then we, we move on, and, and this, is, this is pretty encouraging. Verse 14, David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. And while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. Because this is a bad day in David's life. Like, like things had gotten to a point where he was trapped, and things were getting worse, and he didn't know how he was going to get out of it. And Saul's son, I love this, Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. So here's the third thing. Remember that the Lord knows and understands you. I am comforted to know that he was afraid. I'm comforted by the fact that David got afraid at this particular time in his life. And the Lord knows our frame. He knows how we're made. He knows how we are wired. And he knows that sometimes we will have some fear. And what does he do? He sends a friend. And so I, I can't like, tell you how many times that I've been going through experiences where I may have felt a little bit down or a little bit sideways on something, and all of a sudden somebody calls just out of the blue. And they have no idea that they are a minister of God in that moment and that the Lord has really sent them and they don't realize the impact they're having on my life. And so like we can look at this and go, know that the Lord is always like looking at us. He understands us. He cares for us. And he will send somebody as long as we're living our life where we're, just, you know, we're determined to seek the Lord's kingdom first. We're looking for divine guidance. God will send us someone to minister to us. Now, very interesting, if you look at Psalm chapter 54, Psalm 54 is what David writes when this happens. The Ziphites are coming after him, 
and they should be like protecting him, but they're just worried about their own necks. They're trying to get in good with the king, the guy who has the position. And so this is what he prays during that time. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. And here's the, like the, here's the center point of the prayer. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Many scholars believe that, 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 he, that he, he wrote this, penned this prayer after Jonathan came to him and he understood what he was feeling and that surely God is his help, the one who sustains him. He understood that he would be sustained by the Lord and Jonathan was confirmation of that. And he says, let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. And so we look at this and we go, man, the Lord understands us. And so we land this thing in the last few verses, and I'll give you the last filter and the big, big idea. The Ziphites, so after this, like, he, like, gets, he gets encouraged from Jonathan. And the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horush, on the hill of Hakalah, south of Jeshimon? Now, you guys know I'm pronouncing all those right, right? <laughs> when in doubt, just say it confidently. If I'm wrong, tell Shay, not me. <laughs> now, your majesty, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. And Saul replied, the Lord bless you for your concern for me. He's doing it again, man. The, the guy is like throwing God and Lord out there. He doesn't know like anything about it. So like, again, we see that not everybody who sounds like a believer um, is actually following the Lord. So I'll reply, the Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and get more information. Find out where David usually goes and who, is, uh, who has seen him there. They tell me he is very crafty. Find out about all the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you if he is in the area. I will track him down among all the clans of Judah. So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Maon in the Arabah south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men began to search. And when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Maon in pursuit of David. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. And as Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, like it's like, man, first of all, David's running, okay? He's getting out of there, and Saul is closing in on him, and, and it looks like doomsday for David. And so he's running as fast as he could. They're about to catch him, and then all of a sudden, it says that. Um, when they were about to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah Hamalakath. <laughs> meet the, uh, to, uh, to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this, yeah, I'm not reading that again. And so David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Megiddo. And so that basically means the rock of party. Okay? And so like David's closing, or Saul's closing in on David, and it looks like he's going to catch them. And all of a sudden, 
there's an attack on, from the Philistines. Now, you say, well, why would, why would Saul be concerned about that? Well, again, most scholars would look at this and agree that they were probably attacking Saul's village, or he probably wouldn't have left. And so he was concerned, again, about what? Himself. And so he left, and David escaped. And, and here's what I want you to take away, and I'll explain this here in a second. Realize what often appears to be foolish is actually wise. When you're making decisions for, for, and you're seeking the kingdom, what often appears to be foolish is actually wise. David is a military war warrior. He has the high ground. He in, is in a strategically advantageous position. Saul has to come up to him, but he runs. Why does he run? Because he understands the word is don't lay a hand against the Lord's anointed. Saul was chosen by God, and it was not David's role to remove Saul from the kingship. And probably his men, no, not probably, we'll see, his men kept trying to get him to do it. And he easily could have done it, but he continued to what? Wait on the Lord for divine guidance. It was the job of the Lord himself to remove Saul. And so what does David do when Saul is coming? Instead of take a, a battle position and take him out, he runs because he believes that God is going to take care of them. So he had the high ground and what looked to be militarily foolish was actually theologically wise. And I have found this in my own life, like so many things. I could just point to you over and over where we look at and some decisions that we make, they feel really foolish, but they are actually wise. And I think one of the, like, one of the strongest examples of this in the Bible is baptism. Like it's just, on the surface, it appears foolish. Like, you just, like be baptized. <laughs> I say this, you're going to get in with another person who's going to hold you underwater and baptize you. Like, it's like, what, what sense does that make? Well, it, well, here's the sense that it makes. Jesus said, go ye therefore and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What sense it makes is the Lord told us to do it. Um, when we're trying to like function financially, and we're like going, man, I'm trying to live and, and save and do these things and, and set up a budget, and, and we go, okay, like it seems foolish if I'm trying to live according to this budget, it seems foolish to tithe on my income and give 10% of my, my income to the church. That seems like a foolish thing to do, right? Like on the surface and from a worldly standard, it is. But I'm reminded of what the Word says. Test me in this, the book of Malachi says, and see if I don't open up the uh, gates of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. And so like it, it appears to be foolish, but it is actually wise. And there are so many things that sometimes in... Um, decisions that I have to make, sometimes that if I just look at them from a worldly perspective, they will, they will appear to be foolish. But it, when I'm looking at it and going, well, wait a minute here, man, I'm, I'm following the Lord. I'm seeking his kingdom. I'm looking for guidance. He's providing that guidance. I'm going to the word. I know he understands me. He understands I'm afraid in this and he will send that blessing in a friend or some other way through like he did with Jonathan and he will deliver me. And so what happens is we see that um, David, in this particular instance, left vengeance to the Lord, and the Lord took care of everything. And here's the big idea. Very simple. Prayer works. Prayer works, so why aren't you praying, bro? Like, it works! I don't have time to pray. What? And prayer is so hard. No, life is hard. Like, prayer is easy. 
When you begin to soak your life in prayer and you get some discipline about you, you begin to see the Lord is starting to move in your life. And so pray, like prayer works, man. The Lord wants to talk to you, the living God of the universe, the one that we say died on the cross of Calvary and rose from the dead and lives within us, wants to talk to us. Like when you wake up tomorrow, you need to be reminded immediately as like, the Lord wants to talk to me today. Not, oh God, I gotta go pray. (laughs) And don't do it that way. Like, talk to the Lord. He wants to talk to you and, and realize, man, we can look at the life of David and we see the new man and we are the new men and women in Christ and we can be encouraged that prayer works. It looked like David was doomed and what comes next is a divine distraction to the enemy. Looks like all is lost, man. He's running as fast as he can. His men are going, what are we doing? Why didn't we hold that position up there? They're all like questioning him. And we see men, they question him. Later, they, they get really upset with him later in the book of, of Samuel. And, and, and all of a sudden, man, the Lord shows up. Boom, divine distraction. And guess how the Lord, the people are looking at David now? This guy is a guy I can follow. Like he knows the Lord. And this is how I want to lead my family is the way this guy lives. This is how I want to live my life the way this guy lives. I want the Lord's blessing on my life like he has it on his. And what the New Testament is all about, the gospel is all about, is Jesus said that I've come to give you life. Like that's what he wants to do in your life. And so I want to encourage you this week to look at your decisions and to start soaking them in prayer. Start using these filters and go, man, when I have a decision, I'm just going to see, like, like, how do I seek the kingdom in this? And things will like start to clear up for you. You'll take a lot of your own subjectivity out of it and go, well, I know what the Lord says in this, so I'm just going to do it. And I don't have to have all the stress of that decision because I know what the Lord says. Bring me the word, man, and let me hear what the Lord says about this particular situation, and you'll start to get movement in your life. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.